Aren't you glad that when you don't know what's going on, God does. And he knows exactly what to do and when and how to do it. Well, we are certainly glad to be with you tonight. Uh, it, was, it was odd not to be here on Monday. That was strange. And, and uh, normally we're down over in Lebanon, Ohio on Father's Day and have been for years. And, and then we come up here on Monday and, and, uh, and away we go. And this time we were in Alaska. We were in Fairbanks at our home church on Father's Day, which was a lot of fun. And we just had a great time. But that meant that we had to fly out of there uh, Monday afternoon. And, and usually when you fly out of Fairbanks, you fly out at one or two in the morning. Because that's when the flights coming in from Seattle land in Anchorage and Fairbanks. And so that's when the outgoing flights go. And we were very pleased with ourselves to get the three o'clock in the afternoon flight out of Fairbanks. Until it dawned on us that that meant we're going to fly all night and get into Detroit at about 730 this morning. Which is a wretched thing. Amen. And, uh, and we did that and we survived and, and we certainly can't complain and we're going to sleep well tonight. I promise you that. We did get a little nap this afternoon and that was a blessing and uh, it will be good to get back to bed a little bit later. And then uh, looking forward to tomorrow. I understand last night was, was great and uh, this morning was good and, and just, just looking forward to good things. Thank you for the message, Brother Knox. Uh, honestly, everybody needs to hear that. And be reminded of that. Certainly every pastor, every preacher, everybody in ministry needs to be reminded of that over and over again. Take your Bible, if you would, and turn to the book of Mark. Mark chapter number 5. Mark chapter number 5. When you find that, would you go ahead and stand with me as we read the Word of God? I just feel like if you're going to sit for two and a half hours, you ought to... uh, Stretch your legs. Mark chapter number 5. I'm going to begin reading in verse number 21 tonight and read a few of these verses. It says this, And when Jesus was passed over again by ship unto the other side, much people gathered unto him, and he was nigh unto the sea. And behold, there cometh one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name. And when he saw him, he fell at his feet and besought him greatly, saying, My little daughter lieth at the point of death. I pray thee, come and lay thy hands on her, that she may be healed, and she shall live. And Jesus went with him, and much people followed him and thronged him. Look, if you would, at verse 38. And he cometh to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and seeth the tumult, and them that wept and wailed greatly. And when he was come in, he saith unto them, Why make ye this ado, and weep? The damsel is not dead, but sleepeth. And they laughed him to scorn. But when he had put them all out, he taketh the father and the mother of the damsel and them that were with him and entereth in where the damsel was lying. And he took the damsel by the hand and said unto her, Talitha Kumai, which is being interpreted, damsel, I say unto thee, arise. And straightway the, the damsel arose and walked, for she was of the age of 12 years. And they were astonished with a great astonishment. And he charged them straightly that no man should know it and commanded that something should be given her to eat. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that we could be here tonight. Lord, thank you for what we've already heard and experienced together, the wonderful truth from your word, the great great singing and rejoicing together. And Lord, as we look into your word again tonight, I pray that you would indeed use it in our hearts and lives and we'll be careful to thank you for it. In Jesus' name.
Amen. You may be seated. Uh, thank you, choir, for singing that song tonight. Uh, what a wonderful blessing. I don't know that I've ever heard you do it any better than that tonight. That was just, I mean, that was awesome and stirring and encouraging and challenging and all that it ought to be. Amen. Here in Mark chapter 5, uh, Jesus is, he's, uh, he's been preaching and teaching and, and then he goes over in the first part of the chapter, he goes over to the, to what we call the maniac of Gadara over there on the other side of the Sea of Galilee and, and the devils are cast out of that man and it's wonderful and it's marvelous and, but the people there are not real excited about, uh, the fact that he's done that or that all of their pigs are dead and so they tell him to go away. And so Jesus gets in the boat and goes away. Can I just say, in case I don't get a chance to say it later on this week, be careful telling Jesus to go away. Because he might go away. And they said, go away, leave our coasts and and get out of here. And, And he gets in the boat and goes. Well, you see, when he came over, he had been preaching and teaching to a multitude of people on the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And when he headed over to the to the Gadarenes, those people kind of scattered a little bit. But now, all of a sudden, the boat is coming back. They probably didn't expect it to come back this soon. And I'm sure the disciples didn't expect to be going back this soon. But now that this man's been delivered from his uh, possession of devils and all the rest, they get in the boat, they head back, and somebody sees the boat coming, and they say, he's coming back. That's the boat Jesus was in. And all of a sudden, the crowd is gathering again. All these people who were there the day before and they were listening and they were watching. Now they're coming back and they want to hear more. They want to see some miracles. They want to see some exciting stuff. And they're there waiting when Jesus gets there. And so there's a multitude of people as the, as the ship pulls up and they get out of the boat. And then something strange begins to happen. The crowd begins to part in the back. You see somebody, somebody important is coming through. Somebody that they know, somebody that has uh, an effect on their life, somebody of consequence that they know and respect is coming through and they are stepping aside and letting him through. Now that's a little unusual when there's a big crowd there to hear something going on down there. The people in the back are usually trying to get as close as they can and they're not concerned about letting someone else through. But this guy's special. Uh, In other words, this is somebody that they respect And they're going to let him through. And so they step aside and he comes through. His name is Jairus. And he's a ruler of the synagogue. Now this man, sometimes we have the idea that all of the, all of the rulers, all of the priests, all of the Pharisees, they all hated Jesus and wanted to get rid of him. As a general rule, that's true. But there were some that followed him. There were some that followed from a distance. And didn't let anybody know that they knew who Jesus was and they believed him. That's what we find out in John chapter 12 verses 42 and 43. It says many of the chief rulers believed but loved the praise of men. In other words, they knew Jesus was who he said he was. They believed it all, but they didn't want anybody to know. So they kept their distance. Kind of like Nicodemus in John chapter 3. You remember when Nicodemus comes to Jesus? He comes by night because he's afraid someone will see him. And so he comes and asks his questions, and he's a, he's a ruler of the Jews as well. We find out in Acts chapter 15, verse number 5, that there were Pharisees 
who believed and followed Jesus. And in Acts chapter 15, you find there they are. And sometimes, sometimes when you get saved out of strong religious bondage, you tend to drag some of your traditions along with you. And some of the Pharisees were trying to do some of that stuff and it had to be straightened out and had to be handled. But they were those who did indeed believe Jesus and follow him. This man is one of those. Jairus is one of those guys. He knows who Jesus is. He knows what Jesus can do, but he's not about to be an open follower until this day. Because on this day, tragedy has hit his household. His daughter is sick. She's 12 years old and she's not just sick. When he left the house, she was going downhill to the point that she was dying. I don't know if her breathing was getting more labored, if something had changed that day. But when he left the house, they knew that she was not long for this world. And he said, if I can get to Jesus, if I can get down there and and get him to come to the house, all he will have to do is put his hands on my daughter and she will get up off that bed and she will be whole and well. He knew it. He didn't doubt it at all. And now on this day, he doesn't care who else knows that he knows it. Because it has gotten so serious that he no longer cares if somebody somebody points him out and says, I saw him following Jesus. He doesn't care anymore because this is too serious. And he's going down there and he doesn't care if the whole area sees him. He's coming right through the middle of the crowd and they part and let him come down. And he gets down at the feet of Jesus and makes his request. I've got this daughter. She's 12 years old. She's dying. If you'll just come to the house and put your hands on her. I know she'll be healed. And he hears the the greatest words he's ever heard. I I hope we get to watch the replay because I want to know exactly what Jesus said to him. What we do know is that Jesus agrees to come to the house. Maybe he said, come on, get up, let's go. I'm ready, let's go to the house. And so they get up and now they're headed back up through the crowd and the crowd is parting again. And they're letting Jesus and Jairus, they're letting them go through. And now remember, there's a bunch of folks here who came because they wanted to see a miracle. And they just heard Jesus agree to do a miracle. He just agreed to go heal this little girl. That's what they want to see. And so they are coming. And now the crowd is is moving around and following in behind Jesus and Jairus. And they are headed toward the house. But you'll notice we stopped reading in verse number 24. Because between verse 24 and verse 38, a lot of stuff happens. Most notably, what happens is that Jesus stops moving toward the house. Did you get that part? Here they are. He's excited. Jairus is thrilled to death. Jesus is coming to the house. They're moving. The crowd is parting. They're making their way up there through. And then all of a sudden, Jesus stops. He's not moving now. He's not getting any closer to the house. Remember, this is an urgent need. The little girl wasn't just sick. She was dying when he left the house. They've got to get back to the house so Jesus can heal her. And now Jesus has stopped. And all of a sudden, he's turned around. He's talking to other people. Have you ever, have you ever been in a spot where you have claimed a promise from God? And it looks like things are moving toward the completion of that promise. And then God stops. Nothing's happening. He's not moving anymore. Maybe you prayed and you begged God and you said, God, here's what I need. Here's what I want. It's, it's not bad. It's good. This is to honor God. And, and it looks like things are moving that way. And then all of a sudden, boom, everything stops. 
And not only is it not moving that way anymore, now it seems to be moving away from an answer to that prayer. Here's what I want to preach to you about tonight. What do you do between the promise and the fulfillment? Or between the prayer and the answer? This man has a promise from Jesus. I mean, it's just as good as any promise you could have. We're going to the house. We're going to take care of your little girl. And they're moving until they're not anymore. And now they're stopped. You see, there's a woman back there who's at the back of the crowd and she's been sick for 12 years. She has an issue of blood and she's been bleeding and she's got this problem. It's gone on for 12 years. The Bible tells us in this passage, she's gone to every physician that she can. She spent all of her living. She has nothing left and she's going to die. Have you ever been to the doctor and all you got was a bill? That's how it was for this woman. She's been going to the doctor for 12 years and all she gets is more bills in the mail. And as she pays them, her savings disappears. Her livelihood is gone. Now she has nothing left. She can't even go to another doctor who can't help her now. Now she's stuck. There's nowhere to go. But you see, she's at the same point that Jairus is at. She knows if she can get to Jesus, he can fix it. She knows that. The problem is she's not supposed to be in this crowd. You see, she's got a she's got an issue of blood. She's bleeding. And and according to the law, she's not supposed to be in a crowd of people. She's very similar to a leper. You see, if you have an open sore or you're bleeding, just like the leper was supposed to step back and cover his mouth and say, unclean, unclean. That's what she's supposed to do. But now she is willing. You see, if she gets caught in the crowd and somebody recognizes her, they can take her out and stone her to death. Her life could be over like that this very day. But if she doesn't get to Jesus, her life is over anyway. And so just like Jairus, she is now willing to risk everything to get to Jesus. She's probably at the back of the crowd. Because she's afraid to get in there where somebody might see her and somebody might know her. She's all the way to the back. But when Jesus and Jairus start moving that way and the crowd starts moving, all of a sudden, people who were in the back are now in the front. Can you imagine? She was at the very back and now Jesus is coming right toward her. I mean, he is moving her direction. Look, if you would, down here at verse number 27. When she had heard of Jesus, came in the press behind and touched his garment. All of a sudden, Jesus and Jairus are coming right past her. This is her opportunity. And she reaches through some people and just barely swipes the edge of his clothing. And something miraculous happens. Look, if you would, down here, verse 28. For she said, if I may touch but his clothes, I shall be whole. And straightway the fountain of her blood was dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of that plague. And Jesus immediately, knowing in himself that virtue had gone out of him, turned him about in the press and said, who touched my clothes? And his disciples said unto him, thou seest the multitude thronging thee and sayest thou who touched me? She touches Jesus. She's completely healed. Not, not Benny Hinn healed. Not the mysterious, invisible ache that goes away. No, she's got a legitimate issue and it's solved and she is completely whole and well. She doesn't start the process of feeling a little better. No, no, no. She is completely restored at that moment. And she's now the most excited person in the crowd until Jesus says, who touched me? Now she's she's scared. 
And the disciples don't understand what's going on. And they said, Jesus, we're in the middle of a crowd and there are, there are 15 of us touching you right now. What do you mean? Who touched me? He said, oh, no, this is different. Virtue has gone out of me. Who is it? And look what happens. Verse number 31, 32, excuse me. And he looked round about to see her that had done this thing. All of a sudden, virtue goes out of him. He stops, says, who touched me? And there's some confusion and there's some discussion going on. And then he turns around and he looks her right in the eyeballs. And she knows that he knows. And she's busted. Amen. She's been caught. She just stole healing. <laughs> she took it. She stole it. I mean, it wasn't offered. It wasn't, I mean, it wasn't come up here and touch me. No, she reached through. She touched him. She just got healing in a clandestine manner. And she's feeling a little bit guilty right now. And then he looks at her and now she's scared to death. And so she comes and falls at his feet. She doesn't know what's about to happen. Listen, if that were you, if that were me, first thing running through my mind would be, what if he takes it back? What if I did this wrong and now I'm going to be unhealed and I'm just going to die anyway and this is all for naught? And that's what would be going through my mind. You probably have more faith than that, but that's what would be going through my mind. And she falls down at his feet. And look what happens down here. Verse 33. But the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what was done in her, came and fell down before him and told him all the truth. And he said unto her, Daughter, thy faith hath made thee whole. Go in peace and be whole of thy plague. And she stands up and she is whole and well. And she's got a big smile on her face and she doesn't have her head covered anymore. She doesn't care who sees her. And she starts walking toward home. And now all those people that came to see a miracle, Jesus just did one right in front of them and they missed it. Now they, now she's the hero. They want to shake her hand. They want to touch her. They want to ask her, what did it feel like? What just happened? And all the rest of it. And she's got a big smile. And she's glad to tell anybody who wants to listen. And she's going that way. But you know who's standing there? Waiting. Not getting his promise fulfilled. Not getting his prayer answered. Jairus. His daughter was dying when he left the house. Things are not good. What do you do at that point? Well, I submit to you that when we are in between the promise and the fulfillment, we're in between the prayer and the answer, that we should do the same thing that he did. The same thing that he did. Look down here, if you would, to see exactly what happens. First of all, let me give you this. When you're in between the promise and the fulfillment or in between the prayers and the answer to those prayers, first of all, don't put your own limitations on God's promises. Don't put your own limitations on God's promises. He has to stand there and wait while Jesus deals with the woman with the issue of blood. You say, but, but his need is urgent. Yes, it is. But Jesus has chosen to stop there and deal with someone else's need. I'm going to give you a great eternal truth now. I hope you're ready for this. Uh, this. This is a big one. So you might want to write this down. You might want to make bumper stickers out of it. If you don't have a life, you might want to tweet it. Are you ready? God is God and you are not. Did you get that one? Uh, by the way, if you'll settle that in your heart, it'll solve a lot of problems for you. Really will. 
It'll keep you from, uh, from taking too much pressure and responsibility on yourself. It'll also keep you from taking too much credit for what God does. Amen. God is God and you're not. God does not have to work in the way or the time that seems best to me. As a matter of fact, quite often, he may fulfill a promise in a way I never even expected and didn't realize it could even be done. He may answer a prayer in a way I could never have imagined in a million years. Don't put your own limitations on God and his promises. Don't do that. He can answer when and where and how he chooses to answer. Can you imagine Jairus standing there? When they've stopped and Jesus has turned around and he's talking to the disciples and he's talking to this woman. We read through it and it only takes just a minute to read it through. But I promise you it took a lot of time to happen. It took a chunk of time. And that father is standing there. His daughter was going downhill when he left the house. And what's going through his mind at this point? Probably, I hope she's still alive. We're waiting too long. Why aren't we moving? Why aren't we going that way? Why have we stopped in the road? He's probably frustrated. He might be angry. He's probably afraid. He's afraid it's going to go too far and and they're going to wait too long. And then there will be no hope at all. But that would be putting your own limitations on what God is doing. Number two, don't allow a shift in circumstances to make you doubt the power of God. Look, if you would, at verse 35. Jesus has just healed the woman. He's talked to her and all of that is going on. And it says, while he yet spake, while he's telling the woman that your faith has made you whole, go in peace. While he yet spake, there came from the ruler of the synagogue's house, certain which said, thy daughter is dead. Why troublest thou the master any further? While they're talking, while he's thinking, I hope we haven't waited too long. The servants come and said, you've waited too long. She's dead now. There's no reason to come. Look, if you would, at verse 36. As soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he saith unto the ruler of the synagogue, be not afraid, only believe. He doesn't seem to be phased at all by the fact that she just died. He's not upset. He doesn't say, oh, no, Jairus, you know, I intended to get there and put my hands on her and heal her. Sorry. Sorry we had to deal with this woman back here, but, you know, that's just the way it works sometimes. He didn't do that. Instead, he said to Jairus, don't be afraid. Be not afraid. Only believe. In other words, just just trust me. Just trust me. We're still going to the house. Just trust me. You see, the circumstances have shifted. They have shifted so severely that a girl who was sick is now dead. It's one thing to believe that Jesus can heal the sick daughter. It's another thing to believe that he can raise her from the dead. Those are very different things. Listen, uh, even the, our Pentecostal friends who get so carried away with all the, all, all the healing and the foolishness and the barking like a dog and all the rest, you never see them try to resurrect somebody. I mean, they'll pretend to heal people all day long. You know what they never do? Drag a dead body up there and say, arise. You know why? Because that's a different ballpark right there. That's, that, that's a different thing. Anybody can pretend to heal somebody and, and you know, throw a few hostile shandais around, slap somebody on the head. But you got a dead guy. God has to be there. 
or the dead guy stays dead. That's the only thing that makes the dead guy not dead anymore is if God shows up. Amen. This man knows things have changed now. Listen, and when your circumstance changes. So that you look at it and say, okay, now it's impossible. I could take you through some passages in scripture that almost give you the impression that God likes to wait to that point. He likes to wait till it's impossible. So that when all is said and done, we don't say, look what I did. We have to say it was impossible. Look what God did. God likes it that way. He likes to show up and do things when we are completely unable to change the situation. And I'm convinced that many times God allows the circumstance to shift to that point so that we will acknowledge we are helpless. Don't allow a shift in circumstances to make you doubt the power of God. Jesus wasn't phased by the change in these circumstances, and he's not phased by the change in your circumstance. So, well, if Jesus had come and answered my prayer six months ago, everything would have been fine. But now it's too late. There's just no hope. There's no way. Really? You're going to tell God. Now there's nothing he can do. I think that'd be a foolish thing to say, don't you? Don't, don't be swayed by that. Uh, they, said, they said she's dead. But it's interesting that Jesus doesn't refer to her as dead. As a matter of fact, look down here, if you would, verse 37. And he suffered no man to follow him, see Peter and James and John, the brother of James. And he cometh to the, house, to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and seeth the tumult and them that wept and wailed greatly. And when he was come in, he saith unto them, why make ye this ado and weep? The damsel is not dead, but sleepeth. Now he knows she's dead. Everybody knows she's dead. Dead is dead. Amen. You know when somebody's dead. Although I did see a news thing a couple weeks ago. Some woman in South America somewhere, they, they put her in the casket and then they heard noises in there. She wasn't dead. I don't care how much you love them. When they're, once they're in there, you don't want to hear them knocking on the door. Amen. That moves into creepy territory. We don't, we don't deal with that. But, but they said, she's dead. And Jesus said, whoa, why, why are you so upset? She's not dead. She's just asleep. Now, that's the same thing he said about about Lazarus back in, in John chapter 11. Do you remember? They said, Mary and Martha said, Jesus, you need to come. Uh, Lazarus, the one that you love, he's sick. And if you'll come, you can heal him. Everything will be all right. And you know what Jesus did? He waited on purpose. He didn't go. He waited till Lazarus was dead. And then he said to the disciples, we're going to go down there to Bethany. Our friend Lazarus is asleep and I'm going to wake him up. And they said, if he's asleep, let him sleep. He's been sick. Let him rest. Jesus said, no, you don't understand. He's dead. That's, that's what he said. You can go look it up. He said, you, you, don't, you don't understand. He's dead. And we're going to wake him up. Amen. And they did. And they got down there. And Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth. And he came up out of the grave. Do you remember what Martha said to Jesus? She said, Jesus, if you had been here, my brother had not died. She believed Jesus could do a healing. She wasn't so sure about the resurrection thing. And so Jesus said to her those wonderful words, Martha, I am the resurrection. Listen, resurrection is not just something that happens way down there. Uh, uh, listen, resurrection is a person, not an event. And it's me. And if I can do it down there, I can do it right now. 
I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. And then he looked her right in the eyeball and said, believest thou this? Do you believe me that I'm the resurrection and the life? Isn't that amazing? And then he went and said, Lazarus, come forth. And he got up and came out of the tomb. Why would Jesus call him asleep? And why would Jesus call this girl asleep? Well, I submit to you that if the resurrection and the life is standing there in the room, you don't get to be dead. You just get to be asleep. Amen. Because if Jesus is about to say you get up, you're going to get up. It doesn't matter if you're dead or not. You're getting up when he says get up. You're just asleep and you're about to get up. And he said, don't. Hey, she's just asleep. And they mocked him. They mocked him. Here's, here's the third thing. I think we're on the third thing. Don't let the doubts of others keep you from believing God. There will always be somebody ready to tell you that God can't do the thing you're asking God to do. It's too much, it's too big. Somebody's tried it before and it didn't work. Whatever it is, there will always be somebody to say, God can't do that one. Don't believe them. No, you believe Jesus. You believe him. And if he has promised something, he will accomplish that promise. It doesn't matter what it is, and it doesn't matter how long it takes to do it. He will accomplish it. Don't let somebody else keep you from doing what God told you to do because they don't think God can, God can make it happen. When I first went into evangelism in 1996, a long, long time ago, I know some of you were not born, I understand, which is sad. I mean, really, really, Brother Knox, if you weren't born yet by, by 1996, you missed a lot. Am I right? Amen. You got a lot of catching up to do. But went into evangelism in 1996. And my pastor said to me, he said, uh, so this is what God's doing in your heart and life. And we agreed on that. He said, why don't you, why don't you call some, some men that you respect and just bounce it off of them, get their counsel. And a multitude of counselors, there's wisdom. And so I called some preachers and I called some missionaries and I called some evangelists. And I called some friends and, and they said, almost without exception, that's exciting. That's wonderful. We will pray for you that God will bless it and all will be well, except for one guy, one missionary friend. He had evidently had a rough time on deputation or something because he said, he said, Brother Rogers, don't do it. I said, well, why not? He said, well, we love you. Don't do it. He said, you'll, you'll just get hurt. You'll get hurt and you will starve to death. People won't, they won't take care of you and you'll be sitting around twiddling your thumbs with nowhere to go and, and they won't, you are going to starve to death and you'll have bills like this and no money coming in. He said, please, please don't do it. And I thanked him. And I did what I believe God called me to do. And, and quite honestly, Brother Marshall, I, uh, you know, I've had ups and downs and, you know, successes and failures. But one thing I've never had to be concerned with <coughs> was starvation. You know. Just the opposite has been the case. It's been an ongoing diet the whole time, you know, just trying to not weigh 500 pounds by the time it's all over. You know why? Because people take way too good a care of us. 
and they're way too kind and they're way too generous and all the rest. And, and he was wrong. But if I had listened to him, I'd have missed out on what God had for me. Listen, don't, don't be swayed by the doubts of others. Just because they don't think God can do that thing doesn't mean that they're right. A lot of folks are wrong a lot of the time. Number four, this is the most important part. We'll be done. Stay close to Jesus. When you're in between the promise and the fulfillment, don't get away from Jesus during that time. When you're in between the thing you've prayed for over and over and over and over and seeing the answer come, that's not the time to get away from Jesus. That's the time to get closer to Jesus. You stay close to Jesus. You say, well, how do you you see that in there? Oh, I see that all through this passage. This man comes, he's at the feet of Jesus. They get up, they head down the road together. You know where this man is when the people come and say, don't come, she's dead. He's still standing right next to Jesus through this whole healing of the woman business. He didn't go home. He didn't say, well, it's not going to happen, so I'm done. He didn't say, uh, Jesus didn't have to say, hey, hey, Jairus, I need to tell you something. No, all he had to do is turn to him and say, be not afraid. Why? Well, because he was standing right there. He never left. He stayed right there close. You know who got to go in the room and watch the little girl get up off the bed? Peter, James, and John, and this man and his wife. Why? Because they were standing right there when Jesus said, let's go in the room. Get all these mockers out of here. Let's go in the room. You know who was standing there? You know who Jesus said, go get her some food? A good Baptist family. We love to eat. Amen. We don't smoke and drink and dance and all that, but we do eat. We eat. We eat with the best of them. We're going to do it in a few minutes. We're going to eat. Amen. So it's going to happen. He said, give her some food. You know who he's talking to? This man and his wife were standing right there in the room because this man never once left Jesus' side once Jesus said, I'm coming to your house. Oh, there was plenty of opportunity to leave when Jesus stopped in the road. There was, there was opportunity to leave when they said, she's dead, don't bother the master. That's a good excuse to turn around. But he didn't. He stayed right there next to the Savior. And when you are between the promise and the fulfillment, can I just say to you again, that's when you stay close to Jesus. That's when the devil is going to say, he's not going to answer. It's not going to happen. It's not going to work out. You might as well give up. Why don't you just drop out of church? Why don't you give up on all that and and forget about God? And you know what will happen if you do that? You'll never see the fulfillment. And you'll miss the answer to the prayer. Listen, you want to be there. You want to be there when the prayer gets answered. When the kid that you've prayed for over and over and over and over again finally is standing up giving his testimony in church and telling everybody how he came back to the Lord, you don't want to be the one gone when that happens. You want to be standing there when that happens. You don't want to be the one who misses out on the fulfillment of the promise because you got discouraged and you walked away and now you're not there to see it all come together. Listen, I've been in church a long, long time. Every, everything he said tonight is true. People come, people go. You can't make them stay. You know what I've seen several times, though, over long, uh, long, long periods of ministry, is that sometimes people who got bitter and angry and left, sometimes their kids come back. Really. 
their grown kids show up to that same place that their parents took them out of and jump in with both feet and start serving God. You know what the saddest part of all that is? Mom and dad are still out there somewhere. And they missed the very thing that they prayed for over their little children when they were just born, that God would use them and bless their life and they would serve God one day. And because they got sideways with the preacher, upset about this or that, they're laying out of church. When the kids come back and want to serve God, they miss it. You don't want to miss the answer. So you got to stay close to Jesus. Listen, don't, don't get discouraged and quit and give up. Stay in real close, and you'll be glad that you did. Because one day, I've been waiting a long time. You might have to wait longer. You might not even see the answer till you're in heaven looking down. Sometimes that's the way it is. But you'll sure be glad when the answer comes and the promise is fulfilled that you stayed right where you needed to be, close to Jesus. And then you can rejoice when that answer comes and the promise is there and the girl gets up off the bed and you sit down together and celebrate, amen? What do you do when you're between the promise and the fulfillment? You do just what he did and stay in close to Jesus. Let's stand together and pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that we could be here tonight. Thank you for this familiar story, this familiar passage Lord, thank you for this father who came to make a request for his daughter. And he didn't just make the request and walk away. Then he stayed right there next to Jesus until the whole thing was finished. Lord, don't let us get discouraged. Don't let us get weary in well-doing. Don't let us look at, at people who give up and quit and and go away and think, well, maybe we should go down that same path. Lord, help us not to be swayed by the doubts and the foolishness of others, but instead just to stay as close to you as we possibly can. Because sooner or later, somewhere, somewhere along the line, the answer's coming. The fulfillment to the promise is going to happen. And we want to be there to see it. Lord, help us to be there. We'll thank you for all that you do. In Jesus' name.